My name's Carson. I'm a video editor and video generalist at Pinterest. This is the maiden voyage of a new experiment. Our one-to-one-to-one -to -one -to -one meetings are being recorded with a bit of a theme, and the theme is a direct ripoff of the BBC radio show and podcast, Desert Island Discs. My guests today are design director Tim Balonix and global creative director James Hurst. Welcome, gentlemen. Whoop, 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 whoop. Thank you, Carson. Tim. Yes, sir. What was the first job you had when you were a teenager? That is a great question. I was a mover, and it was one of those jobs that, you know, you're like uh, not old enough to really do. You know, it's like one of those uh, favor jobs, but it became consistent summers. I was helping someone uh, move furniture all the time. How, how old were you? Uh, I was like 14, 15. Yeah. Cause then you could start working at 16. Yeah. Yeah. That's right. I, uh, how much money did you make moving furniture? Oh, I have no idea. I, I don't even think I knew what minimum wage was. <laughs> I, I did that for a while when I first moved to San Francisco, I did a bunch of odd jobs just trying to get my feet underneath me. And the guy that I worked with was a musician who had a van and during the day he didn't want to get a straight job. So he moved furniture. Was it something like that? It was exactly like that. And I still remember one of the biggest mistakes was me and a buddy were moving like a chest of tools and we ended up unfortunately tipping it over onto carpet. And so a carpet like this brand new carpet was full of like uh, old rusty and oily tools. It was uh, yeah, it was a hard day that day. <laughs> Did you have to clean the carpet? Uh, we had to get it clean because, you know, we, we could we could barely move well as evidenced so who's going to trust us with cleaning a carpet <laughs> what was the best thing that you had to that you had to move the best thing or well, the most uh, or the most unexpected thing uh you know it, this was the suburbs so there wasn't like a lot of unexpected stuff you know i think the fun thing was like the sort of tetrising of like can we do it like that would be the like the goal between me and my buddy it's like can we make this oh yeah totally you know we could totally like fit this couch in this like closet hallway and like lift it over your head and do all sorts of like crazy stuff. That was more of the fun, but it was the suburbs. So you didn't really see too much crazy stuff, unfortunately. James, uh, do you remember your first money-making endeavor? The first job job, I, I did a lot of, um, a lot of trying to earn money before I was old enough to, to, to ever have a job. So I've got two very hilarious stories. The very first time that I went somewhere and they paid me money to do something was, was for a paper round. And I think I got a paper round on my birthday. And I think you had to be 14 to get a paper round. And on my, the day of my birthday, I was so desperate to earn my own money. that Because um, in, my, in my head, I really wanted to buy, I was really into doing magic when I was a kid. And I really wanted to buy some magic tricks. And... My mum and dad were like, look, you're going to have to start earning your own money because I would have like a new hobby and I'd be so intense about it. When I was like eight to 12, they were really indulgent of like, oh, so you want to become a badminton player? Sure, we'll buy a badminton racket, which would last for two weeks. And then it's like, oh, I, I want to be like someone that drives racing cars. And I'm like, okay, here's an electric racing car. And, um, and then by the time I was 14, I think they got wind of it and had sort of given up on ever spending money on me. And um, uh, so I was desperate to earn money. So the first job was the paper round, which I did religiously probably a bit a bit too long. I think I was still doing it when I was like 17. Um, and then I trained as a swim. Uh, I think it, it was when I told my mum and dad I wanted to go to art school. 
And there were many conversations about whether or not they were going to support that sort of risky endeavor. And um, and I was like, right, I need to I need to really earn a lot of money. Um, and there was one factory in the village that I grew up in. And that factory was a, I don't know if it's still going or not, but it was a bit of um, a risky place to work. And they would take big bits of metal and uh, drill and chamfer this metal. So you'd have loads and loads of really wispy, tiny bits of metal. And I got the lowest of the lowest jobs in that factory, which was essentially in this massive machine that was the size of a house where these big slabs of, of metal were going that would be turned into industrial bits of machinery. Um, and I would have to put my arms into this machine and sweep out all of these like wispy, wispy, teeny tiny bits of metal. And every single day I would have like thousands of lacerations down my arm, but it, I think it paid, it was upwards of, of 15 or 16 pounds an hour. And it was enough money to for me to know that I could sort of work less and go to art school and support myself and buy a car to drive me to where the art school was going to be. That sounds extremely dangerous. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. My dad grew, my dad worked in Sheffield in the in the um uh in the smelting factories in Sheffield. So he was always like, I think he saw it as a bit of a rite of passage that you did a job a bit like that. My grandfather worked in mines in Manchester as a child. And eventually stowed away on a ship. That's probably way too romantic. I'm sure he bought a ticket <laughs> and uh, went to Canada to to find fame and fortune. But really, all he found was my grandmother. <laughs> they had a good life, though. Uh, James and Tim, uh, the reason why you're here is to tell us about eight songs that you would hope to be marooned on a desert island with only eight songs to listen to for the remainder of your days. James, were any of your eight what you were listening to as you were delivering papers? Uh, no, I don't think any of these were. Uh, no, one of them was released. I just wasn't cool enough to know that it was released when I was eight. So these are all new. Well, tell us about your first piece of music. I don't know if we'll have a chance to talk about all eight for either of you, but maybe uh, try to choose some highlights as we go along. We'll see how far we can get. Okay, so the, I'm, I'm actually going to cheekily have a ninth one, which we'll just sort of imagine playing throughout that entire time, which is... Um, a sound bed of just pub ambience. And I think that that would be sort of the mandatory soundscape to take on a desert island. And as an, uh, a Brit who's moved over to um, America and now locked down and hasn't been home to England for over a year, um, I really miss the, the getting off of the tube, walking about 20 steps, going to the pub at the end of where my house was, Having a pint, sometimes I'd bump into people that I knew. Often I didn't, and I'd just read a paper that they'd have lying around. I just miss that. I miss that so much. To the point that last night, my my wife suggested that I just go for a drink in one of the bars that are open um, in Noe Valley, where I now live. And um, I walked. I think they were about to call the police. I walked past it about four times, like, shall I stop and have a drink? And then I turned around and I did, just couldn't get the confidence. So I was like, it's weird. Like, I feel so weird. Like, this whole thing is... This whole pandemic has uh, has really changed how comfortable I feel in those sorts of spaces. So, the night the the additional thing would probably be like bar background noise, uh, which I certainly am embarrassed to say I've put on a few times at home once I have a beer. <laughs> so, well, maybe we can allow that as your luxury item. Both of you will get a luxury item at the end of this <laughs> podcast to take with you. That's not music, but 
Maybe we can make a maybe we can make a special exception. Maybe you get an entire British pub <laughs> on your island. Perfect. Take me there now. Okay, so the first song. Um, when I've got three kids, and when the twins were um, were gonna be born, we we did a lot of things like hypnobirthing and and stuff. One of the key bits of advice we got is try and put together a playlist and take some music that would make you feel really comfortable. And I took one album by one person, a guy called Nils Fram, and the album's called Spaces. And it's one of the most beautiful albums that I, th- I think um, exists. I'm a huge Nils Fram fan. And uh, so the first song uh, that I take off, that is actually the second song off the album, and the song is Says. To say I'm not familiar. Where? How did you come in contact with this artist? Uh, Nils has been used by lots and lots of dance musicians. Actually, his music has been sampled by dance musicians, and I guess I don't know where I will have. I actually don't know. I couldn't put my finger on it, hand on heart, to say where I first heard about Nils from. But I can say that since I've I've seen Nils perform, I don't know, four times maybe, maybe five times, and um, and every single time it's it's always been a performance where. You can always hear a pin drop. The audience is usually like fairly um, wrapped up in in hearing the noise. One of the times I heard him perform was actually at a festival, and I was really nervous about whether it would work in that sort of setting, and it did. And it, it's just so calming and beautiful. It's making my hair go, stand on end just talking about it. Well, Tim, why don't you share? Uh, why don't you share a track off your list? Yeah, I think uh, some of this is definitely like island themed. Um, but one of the first bands that I remember listening to and getting a cassette from was the Beach Boys. Um, and the one track that I think I would pull from that, there was a bunch. I think it started with, I was far too young to actually watch this film, but it started with Kokomo, if you remember that. Uh, it's a Tom Cruise film about drinking and about being a bartender. And this is like five-year-old Tim. I probably had no idea what was going on, but I just I, I believe the film was called Cocktail. Sorry, Cocktail. Yes, yeah. you're right. You're right. It's Cocktail. Um, but I think um, of all of the Beach Boys songs, uh, Wouldn't It Be Nice uh, would definitely be one of my top picks. It's just that opening, that opening melody. I think I could, yeah, I think I could just listen to that over and over again. And um, it's just so, I don't know, it's uplifting and happy. And yeah, it just also a lot of the songs I chose, I think maybe similar to James, there's like a, a memory tied to it. And so for me, this is very much about, you know, Tim at about five years old.
1966 album Pet Sounds that was Wouldn't It Be Nice by the Beach Boys. Tim, was that one of the first music purchases or gifts or like kind of your own music that you had? It was definitely a feeling of like my own music. Something else that I would do as a kid is uh, when I think my dad got a camcorder, I would start performing some nights and like doing like music videos or like little like lip syncs. And there was definitely like a good amount of like Beach Boys lip syncs. Uh, as I got older, it might, you know, taste plummeted and never, it never uh, uh, came back. But yeah, it was definitely one of the first. Did you, how did you find most of the music when you were a kid, like before you were able to go to record stores on your own or something? Did you have an uncle or a brother or a, someone in your family who would kick down records and be the one that's like sliding you stuff? Uh, I think some of it was definitely my brother, but I think at that time he was probably in like a heavy metal phase. And so I think as I got a little bit older, I started to sort of uh, slide into that and a lot of like early 90s rap. Um, but before that, I think it was, I think it was really actually what was just on the radio, like driving somewhere and my parents playing something like, uh, like an oldie station or something like that. Um, and then sort of finding my way into like a garage sale, like living in the suburbs, there's plenty of like little garage sales. And as a kid, you could scrape up enough money to like get a cassette tape from, from one of those. I think, did you, um, cause I grew up in a little village that's sort of almost equally in the middle of three relatively small towns in England. So that all, all is that to say is that to go to a record store, I would have had to have traveled a really long time and, um, and it, it didn't really happen. I remember when the internet, uh, there was a, a website called suedo.com and suedo was like the first, um, I think it had a frame rate. I don't know what the actual frame rate was, but it was like a frame rate of one frame every sort of, second or something ridiculous and it was the first time that i could see things like hip-hop or i could see things like djs or i could see you know i was really into um uh well i was just i was just curious and hungry to sort of see different things happening and there was a magazine that's now i think it's gone gone under but there's a magazine called nme there was like a big new musical express there's the big thing in england but um Seeing Suedo.com was like the first time, and it literally rippled through our entire school, where everyone was like, oh my God, did you see this show on Suedo? And the platform would let any, anybody could set up a TV channel on Suedo.com, and then you'd all watch like this single frame rate thing. It was the first time I saw Eminem was trying to watch an Eminem performance on Suedo.com years before he became um, uh, the Eminem that you know, know today. And I think that that is like, I can't imagine a life before that. Like that was like the thing that made me think, oh, technology, the value of technology is so important because of the access that it, that it gave you, even though it was totally shambolic. I don't know what's happened to Suedo. Maybe it's still around. Is Suedo featured on, on your list anywhere? <laughs> Suedo's not. Um, Suedo.com. Let's see. I, I'll have a look at it later. James, why don't you uh, kick us off with another bit off your list? So the second one um, is actually uh, Alan Lomax, who's the the... Uh, sound archivist who Moby ended up sampling a lot of the play. Uh, the Smithsonian I, uh, field recordings. Yeah, exactly. And um, and I loved. I mean, I'm a like a relatively diehard Moby fan. I think Moby's fantastic. I think the his two part biography um, book Porcelain is just gut wrenchingly good and powerful and important to read. Uh, even there's some controversy since the second part of that launch. Um, but I, I really loved um, 
loved Moby. The thing that's happened um, since the Black Lives Matter movement uh, came, uh, you know, as I've sort of become more aware of my own lack of knowledge, really, uh, and you realise actually the insensitivity of what he then did to Alan Lomax's recording. And so it's interesting because I loved Moby so very much, and I still love Moby very, very much, but I've actually gone back and I've now re-listened to everything from Alan Lomax and tried to like dig into the stories, and they're gut-wrenchingly sad, um, of these people that, that were having to sing these songs, uh, mainly as like a way to communicate much deeper much, much, much deeper things um, than necessarily the words of the, the songs themselves. And ne- uh, Negro Prison Blues and Songs is one of the most sort of poignant moments in time. And I like now, um, if I have like learned one thing over the last few months, it's put that album on your headphones, sit down and just try and like think about the lived experiences that other people might have had. And that's like as close as I can sort of get to trying to unpick or, 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 you know, I'll never understand what that lived experience is like for other people. But I think that that's sort of been a bit of a window into how I need to educate myself more. No more, my love. No That was No More My Lord from an uncredited artist from an album of prison songs and spirituals recorded by Alan Lomax at prisons in Mississippi and Louisiana. I don't know anything. About, this makes me want to know more about Alan Lomax. Yeah, I'm, I'm positive that he's, he's saw his role as being an archivist of these moments and he wanted to, to really keep a story, a recording of the story. And I think it was in the back, you know, in a backdrop of sort of American folk music being really well recorded across so much America, whilst there was this um, parallel folk story that wasn't being recorded, and I think it was like a, an early recognition of that. And I think the um, the, I mean that now the sort of the the idea that a white musician took that elements of that, you know, the opening of Honey, one of Moby's um, big songs, um, uh, is sort of portrayed in a way i mean i've danced around to many many remixes of honey in my time and never once considered the impact of what that song was trying to say or the context that that song was originally um recorded in i think that that is a really important question to ask and answer or have a point of view on in light of today's conversation so tim completely switching gears 
as I was thinking about trying to whittle down songs that I would be marooned with, I was wondering there there was guilty pleasures kept coming up in my list. And I wonder if any made it onto yours. Are there any songs where you're like, you know, I know this might be gauche, but it's got to be on the list. Oh, um, you know, I wish I had a section for Guilty Pleasures to be on there, because honestly, my first uh, concert that I went to was Weird Al, uh, which probably doesn't even doesn't even like, you know, count as music to some people. But I just love I mean, I still do. There's just there's something interesting about that kind of music. Um, and even today, I'm following this DJ. His name's Mark Rebier. And he has this amazing ability to just come up with songs on the spot. And he, he hits different genres, but, but in a way that is, uh, you know, sort of in the way that like Weird Al can sort of hit different genres. But he, I think, is like a true, uh, just like master of this whole other realm of being able to come up on the spot. Very like contemporary in terms of, I don't know, social media and TikTok and things like that. So the, that's a long answer. And like, no, I didn't really have too many guilty pleasures in there. Although, uh, although I'm trying to think of like, what might even, what might even fit into that? Well, maybe if, if none of that exists on your list, <laughs> how about you choose something you do want to share? <laughs> that's fine. That's fine. Um, I mean, one that, another one that there's just like a long list of them, um, but that I had to have on there. Uh, with something from the Talking Heads, uh, David Burns' um, documentary is, I think it's on Netflix now. I saw him at the Greek many years ago when we could, you know, still see concerts in person. And he's just like the constant showman. And the way that he brings in music and dance and really like questions, I think, a stage and what performance can be has always been inspiring. Um, but like one of his early pieces with the Talking Heads, this must be the place. Um, you know, for someone being on a desert island, I thought that would also be kind of funny and ironic, but I've just listened to that so often that, uh, yeah, I'd have to take it with me. Yeah, I, uh, it's one of the ones that kept coming up in my mind, and then I kept thinking, well, would I just want to be home? be the place naive melody by the talking heads tim i don't think you're alone in choosing that song to stay with you for the rest of your life i think a lot of people would have that on their list for sure tim where'd you uh where'd you grow up as a wee lad 
Did you have a mustache as a wee lad? <laughs> yes. Uh, contrary to popular belief, I did not come out with this mustache uh, out of the womb. Uh, I grew up in Southern California for a little while, uh, but then mostly in the East Bay and Martinez and Danville. What was uh, the music scene like in, in middle school uh, in California? What were, you, what, were your, what were you thrashing kids listening to back then? Uh, I mean, it was the beginning i think of the grunge scene um nirvana was definitely a cd that i had uh multiple albums of uh, multiple copies of different ones so that was definitely big but i mean you know like west coast east coast rap that was still that battle was like you know just raring up and so there's plenty of plenty of that going on um i think easy e actually like lived somewhere nearby and so that was always like something in you know like bay area rap uh, is strong and that was uh, always always in the background wow neighbors with easy e ish <laughs> you know <laughs> very much an ish uh you know. <laughs> <laughs> uh when did you start thinking were you always in, an artist were was it something that you started young did it, did you come to it late uh i always liked to draw and I just turned every sort of school subject into some sort of like drawing lesson. And even before sort of starting proper schooling, when my parents would tell me little bedtime stories, I would make drawings of them. Eventually I made them into like little staple bound books. Um, my dad worked at home and so he had like an office. And so there was plenty of like um, office supplies for me to raid. And so I would make little little zines, little sketches. And that just uh, I just kept up with it ever since. Have any of those books survived? I have one that is on my on my bookshelf. Yeah. Oh, that might be that. That might need to be the cover for your playlist. <laughs> give us give us one more piece of music. Absolutely. Um, I think. Uh, let's see. What's what's one to end with? Um, I'd have to hey, say you don't, uh, you don't say when it's over, Tim. Oh, sorry, 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 sorry. You said one more. You said one more. So yeah, come on, uh, give us one more. Give us one more. <laughs> Um, I would go with uh, Your Hand in Mine by Explosions in the Sky. Uh, they're an Austin-based band. Um, I think they probably got sort of famous in the like pop culture sense around um, Friday Night Lights. Um, but I remember a buddy of mine who grew up in Texas uh, introducing me to them. And it was probably my first... Uh, sort of foray into purely instrumental music, which is actually what I listen to a good amount now. And there's just something about the setting and the place that they can establish uh, with only instruments that I find is just pretty magical. Let's take a listen to that. Explosions in the sky, your hand in mine.
that was Explosions in the Sky with Your Hand in Mine. While we don't have time in this episode to hear all eight tracks from both James and Tim's lists, you can view the full list on Spotify at the link provided on the podcast page. So James, I think we do have time for one more from your list. All right, I'll... um. So the context of this is, um, I would say, right, like I grew up in, in this countryside village and whilst I use suedo.com to access the world, the bit of the music world that we had a lot of access to was rave culture. And so all of the land around, um, not just our village, but pretty much anywhere that you went in uh, sort of an hour around London, um, there were just raves and the rave scene was just getting big and it was so formative i think i went to my first big rave probably when i was about 15 or 16 and i it just blew me away that the idea that people had set up sound systems that in the middle of this forest that sort of decorated stuff and this army of people just emerged who would dance and and sort of create stuff and it was like as soon as it happened i've always loved a like a lot of different types of music and worked in a rock club and had like a pretty um, many misadventures trying to be in different types of bands. Uh, but rave has always been like at the core of the James Hurst um, experience. So I was thinking if I were marooned on a desert island, what would be really important? And I still do it today. I'm, I'm probably like one of the few people that will go to like a uh, uh, really weird place in Spotify to try and get myself out of a bad mood. And so if you'll be like, what the hell are you listening to? I'm like, listen, I just need like 15 minutes and I'll be, I'll be back to James again. But I like, I, I just need, need that. And this now more than ever, actually, in this sort of lockdown period, there's one song it's by a guy called Floating Points. His name is Sam Shepard. He's um, a, a guy from Manchester. He's amazing. He's an amazing producer, an amazing DJ. He's had a, um, an ensemble, like a 16 piece ensemble. He's if ever you see floating points uh, on a bill, you should definitely 100% go and um, and see him because he's 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 pretty out there. He did this um, uh, song bias off an album bias, and there's a Mayfield Depot mix of that song. Which if you put some headphones on, you turn it up. It's quite long, um, and it it just takes you like this. The sound quality is not a million. You know, it's just not very good. If you feel like you're out in the middle of uh, somewhere it's a bit maybe a bit urban jungle and, and real uh, countryside jungle and um, and you just get that sort of rave production that I think marooned on a desert island I would need to have to hold on to um, something that, that feels like home
Floating Points with Bias, the Mayfield Depot mix. If, uh, if all of our current climate went away and you were allowed to go do anything you want unfettered, would Rave be like at the top of the list? Is that the one thing that you feel like you'd, you'd want to rush back to? Or are you at a different mindset now that you're a dad and a family man and all that? I think there's still something to be said about a group of people having a shared experience. I probably wouldn't want to go back to like my 16 year old self at a rave. Um, I don't think anybody would like to, for me to go back to that state. Um, but I would, I definitely could imagine going to a big festival. My wife um, grew up, her, her uncle worked, had a, a set of restaurants at Glastonbury, which is a big festival in the UK. And she grew up working at these tents that would, um, uh, that he had serving vegetarian food at Glastonbury. And so it's been part of like our shared DNA that we've both enjoyed like the coming together and people bonding over stuff and music being a backdrop to it. So I don't know whether it would be like a total um, rave cave that would be the, the place, but definitely something where a group of people are together, probably outside, probably with music, probably the music just a little bit too loud. So it's about the music, not about the conversation. Um, and probably uh, with a beer or two in your hand uh, to loosen the hips. That sounds kind of nice. I'd like to thank the two of you for joining me in our brief time together on this island and sharing just a bit of your lists. One condition of being marooned is not only do you get these eight songs, but you also get the complete works of Shakespeare and a luxury item. Tim, what would be your luxury item? What are the what is the constraints of said luxury item? You know, I I don't think we have to put too fine a point on it. I think uh, you know, hopefully this will never come to pass, and it is truly a fantasy. So just ride with that. Mm, okay. Well, unfortunately, this just reflects how hungry I am right now. But I think I would go for uh, the rose chocolate donuts from dynamo donuts off 24th street they're like cinnamon chocolate a little savory uh i would want just a box of those uh we will give you a year's supply always (laughs) fresh magically delivered by storks once a day excellent uh james how about you complete works of shakespeare and something that uh you just can't live without i would want the old school gary kasparov chess board that has like the mechanical, you place your chess pieces and then it lights up so that you can keep on playing. Um, but I, you know, I'm, I'm a big fan of playing chess. I, I, I play chess with a, with a lot of people online. I'm assuming that, you know, my luxury items can't be computers and, and power and stuff like that. But I'd say that that Gary Kasparov um, chess, chess board, I've, I've, I've never beaten it. And I think if I were marooned on an island, uh, I wouldn't mind giving that a go. Well done. We can put that at a nice cozy table in your pub. How about that? <laughs> uh, if you were to choose one song as the waves hit high tide and accidentally stole all eight of your discs away into the ocean as you're running after them and could only save one, which one would it be? Tim. I think at that moment, um, I would go with uh, Rufus Wainwright, Hallelujah. Yeah, that's pretty good. Everlasting inspiration, joy, peace, yeah. the higher power, all that stuff. And Rufus. Yeah. James, one that you can't, that you must save above all others. Uh, I think it would probably be. There's a, there's a song on the playlist by Honor Tricks Point Never. It's, it's off an album called Garden of Delete. 
it's actually, I don't think it's a very easy song to listen to. It's called Sticky Drama. And um, it's a little bit juvenile, uh, the sort of the the rationale for that song to exist. But Onatrix Bonevere is an amazing producer. Um, and his process, which I think is, a, is brilliant, is he writes stories so that he'll write a story and then we'll, we'll sort of sometimes turn those stories into something and then the songs are sort of the genesis of that. The thing that I love about his music is if you close your eyes, I think it's like watching a cartoon or it's like watching a bit of anime or something like that. Like you can kind of tell there's a narrative structure to it. And I've been to Honor Point Never Gigs and been that person that's just sort of closed my eyes, not because I'm um, high or drunk, but because I actually think it's the best way to kind of enjoy that gig because the your brain brings all of these sort of associations. I'm sure that the associations that any of us would bring would be totally different. And that's why I think it's really, really powerful. And I think if I was stuck on that desert island and everything else had been taken away, I would want something that would be like a stimulus to like give me a bit of escapism. Good. You've got it. Thank you both. Uh, and hopefully we'll never find ourselves in this situation. <laughs> Again. <laughs> okay. Oh, the times I've been marooned on desert islands. I've heard there was a secret card that David played and it pleased the Lord But you don't really care for music, do you? It goes like this, the fourth, the fifth, the minor fall, the major lift, the baffled king